0: We're here joined today with Jeff. Jeff, what's your last name? Sari, S-A-A-R-I. Jeff here is a leadership coach as well as some other professions that he's pursuing. And we're meeting with him today to discuss leadership. Jeff, if you could give us a little bit
1: about your backstory. Totally. Uh, I am 49 years young, almost on the 50-yard the 50 yard line. <laughs> um, I... Grew up in Keene, and we, uh, we're talking in Keene, New Hampshire right now, uh, Keene, New Hampshire, and Manchester, New Hampshire. And um, after college, well, after high school, I went to college briefly, and I decided that I want to be a musician. So I left college and moved out to LA, big, big city, right? And I went to this world renowned uh, drumming school. I met one of my idols, Neil Peart, of the band Rush. It was an awesome time. But I was 19 and I was very green so I didn't really know my ass from my elbow drumming wise or music industry wise and I didn't, quite frankly didn't like the big city I had some traumatic uh, experiences there I, I right when I moved a month later the LA riots started mm-hmm. uh, if you remember the Rodney King riots that was intense and but I made it through school I came back to live in this area and i was on track to go to music school to be a professional drummer i want one of my thing i want to be a session drummer i want to travel the world and play all styles of music and um, so that's my track i was going to go to berkeley school of music and see what connections i could make there well it was a good plan but then i hit a depression so i was 23 years old and i got derailed by a major depression and anyone that's been in a depression can uh, understand that it's um, it's an isolating thing, and so I, I isolated myself. I was living in Salem, New Hampshire, at the time, practicing my drums, working a, a job driving an airport limousine, and it was a very dark time for me. It got so bad that I had multiple suicide attempts, and uh, it was December seventeenth that I landed in the hospital. And a couple of days later, I woke up and I was like, "Whoa, what just happened? It got that dramatic." Took a bunch of pills, I had a loaded handgun, I had a bottle of whiskey, and um, so I took all these sleeping pills. I thought, like, I want to try that first. And then I, so I took this, it whacked me out for a couple days, and um, I woke up, I don't know, the next day or the 17th, 19th of December, 1995. You guys weren't even born yet, and uh, a light switch went off. Literally, like flicking the switch, it said, okay. I'm not going to try that again. I need to figure this out. Something in me said, okay, it's on. I need to figure out why I went from a happy guy to the bottom of the barrel, wanting to kill myself. And so my priorities, as I thought out over the months, changed from music to now psychology, meditation, spirituality, religion, science, philosophy. I became a voracious learner of life at the right age of 24. I still continued to play music and practice, but I um, I was on a different path. And one of my best friends at the time handed me a book by uh, uh, Steve Hagen called Buddhism Plain and Simple. And I started. I'm like, what is this, you know? And I read through it, and oh my God, that that if I picked one book that changed my life, it was that one. And I saw him. I saw my friend who gave me the book a couple of weeks ago. We took a walk, and I said, that you changed my life, buddy. Back then half my life ago. And so I started to meditate like a mofo, like meditate two, three hours a day. Wow. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I've always living in LA. I've always, um, had an ecumenical, um, diversity, uh, spirit. And so I would befriend people from Brazil and France. And I had a best friend named Santa Sato, Santa Saho from, uh, Japan. And, um, you know, as I was studying this, these religions, I made friends, like Hindu friends that owned an Indian restaurant here in Keene, and I would practice uh, Hindi with them, and they'd teach me the language, and I had an altar with like Krishna and Buddha and Jesus and all. I was just searching, right? And so I went through this massive phase for a couple of years of, uh, of searching for my, my sanity, myself. Who am I? What is this all about? And I started to wake up to consciousness, to mindset, to a shift, radical shift, that I'm the designer of my destiny. Uh, you know, again, with a little help maybe from the gods or luck, lady luck, I don't know, but uh, by and large, it's an inside job. I didn't know that when I was going through my depression. I believed every thought and feeling hook, line, and sinker that I was worthless and no one's going to love me and all this BS that I was selling myself, Right. So I realized as I woke up that I have power in between my ears, that my brain is the most precious real estate that I'm ever going to own. You could have a billionaire that's friggin' that's gobs of friggin' money, states, whatever, that's uh, unhappy. I don't want to be that guy. I know it's in here. You don't need money for that. Uh, In fact, I had like a quarter in my bank account at that time. I was living paycheck to paycheck, working odd jobs, but meditating, playing music, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to the year 2000, I decided I'm going to sell everything and go to France. Do a three-week meditation retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a famous Vietnamese Zen master who has a, a monastery there, and uh, then go to New Zealand where my buddy was was living, and then go to go to uh, India where my other friends were living. I Was going to try to make it to the Dalai Lama. I had this mm-hmm. whole plan. I sold everything I owned except for my friggin' drum set, which I still have, by the way, like a mile from here. Wow. Everything. Dude. I had like five thousand bucks in my pocket, and uh, stop me anytime too. Um, and five thousand bucks in my pocket and i broke up with my girlfriend i said i need no attachments i need to go i got to france it was friggin awesome a week into it they said do you want to become a monk and i'm like whoa i didn't see that coming so I remember sitting this is sometime in june 2000 sitting on this beautiful ledge overlooking the vineyards of southern france um, saying should i travel the world like a friggin nomad should i be a buddhist monk and sit here in this cave uh or should i be a householder what they call a householder like go back live my life try to find a a a career with passion and purpose because i knew i was on that track and it was like boom ding i knew what i needed to do walked across the campus picked up the phone called my girlfriend who had just broken up with three weeks earlier and said hey Remember me? (laughs) How would you like to quit your job? I have 5,000 bucks in my pocket. Come travel with me for a little while, a couple months for France and Switzerland or Europe, right? And she said, that sounds great. Uh, So she quit her job, and she's my wife to this day. Uh, But we ended up traveling a little bit, coming back, and I started to – I went back to school to get my bachelor's degree uh, and uh, studied philosophy and, you know, psychology when I graduated in 2005, I said, what's next? I was working on a beautiful estate, caretaking this estate in Dublin. It was an awesome job, but it wasn't using my brain very much. It wasn't helping people other than the estate owners. And so I need, a, I need a, a, a career with passion and purpose. So I was going to go to school to be a therapist to get my master's degree. But something inside me said it's too limited, you know. So I found, so I did a search on Google, which was the first friggin' year of Google, by the way, 2005. I said, maybe it was 2004, but it was right in the the early stages. I said, uh, careers in spirituality and psychology. And out popped life coaching. Like, what's that? I mean, I was a drum coach and a tennis coach, but I didn't know what a life coach was, right? <laughs> so I ponied up 2200 bucks, and I took this course, that I became a certified life coach, and I started to practice. What did that program entail? So it entailed me uh, every week getting on with a master coach. Her name was Nan Ar- Aronson. She's in uh, Canada. And I had a curriculum, two binders, which I still have today. And I had a buddy a coaching buddy that we would coach each other. So we had to get on a call as well each week. So we had the master coach, but then we had our buddy call. I had to study and do some homework. And then at the end we had to have two paying clients, which I got two paying clients by the end. So I get certified, whatever that means. The, the industry is unregulated. So you don't need to be certified in anything, uh, but I got certified. So I was legit I started to practice. And then eventually I said, you know what? My buddy here owned a coaching house in Keene. He was looking for a full-time coach, which is like synchronicity of it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So he said, how would you like to come work for me? Well, my wife had just lost twins at six months old. Like she gave birth to babies that were stillborn. Well, one was 20 minutes old, uh, 20 minutes uh, alive. So after that happened, we're like, yeah, we need to reset. Like, What's up? And he gave me this job offer and said, "We gotta leave the estate. We gotta go for it." And so I ended up coach, uh, coaching for a couple of years with people coming out of the wilderness from rehab programs to transition into real life. It's freaking awesome. It was very challenging. I quit on the first day. It was one of the most profound moments that I've had, and I can circle back around to that if you want. But I didn't end up quitting. But I told him, "I friggin' quit, dude. First day on the job." Uh, so what happened? I, oh, you want to know? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, my my uh, business owner, Chris, who I just saw yesterday, said, Hey, go, make, go wake Mike up. You know, he's got to get up, go for a job or whatever. You know, get, get up and get his job. So we're kind of sometimes babysitters or alarm clocks. So I go over and I'm, you know, I'm a gentle soul. I'm like, hey, Mike. Nothing. Knock a little. Mike, Mike, time to wake up. Nah. Ah, you know, I don't know So I opened the door I'm like, hey, Mike, you got to get up. That dude got out of that bed like a friggin' uh, lion and he charged me. And he wasn't much bigger than Dalton. Like, he's just kind of, you know, a smaller frame, right? And uh, it scared the shit out of me, not physically, but just emotionally. And I was like, and I was all like, uh, I was all upset inside. I was having this, this severe emotional reaction. And pretty much he's like, get the frig out of here. I never want to see your face again. And I, let, I, I went out there and I was huffing and puffing. I was like hyperventilating because that was extreme conflict, right? Mm. I called my boss and said, Chris, I quit. In fact, I said, I effing quit. Mm. He's like, what? It's first day on the job, bro. I'm like, I quit, dude. He's like, come to the office. So I went to the office, calmed me down. He said, what, what's up? I said, well, Mike got pissed at me. He was, he was an asshole. Yes, so? What do you mean so? That's not cool. He's like, so what? So what it was a jerk? That's what we're doing. We're trying to help these guys. What does that mean to you if someone's a jerk to you? I was like, what? He's like, what does that mean to you if someone's a jerk to you? What does that say about you? I'm like, it was like freaking God hit me upside the head or something. BOM. Oh my god, I grew up with a very critical stepfather who was nasty to me a lot. And I couldn't fight back uh, until I was 17. And I said, Let's go, big guy. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Uh, And I found it. I'm like, Oh my God. Hmm. I placed my emotional happiness in Mike's hands, and I'm making him the bad guy when it's my own reaction for my unresolved issues that's actually going to project it onto the situation. Game changer. Mm. Childhood,
2: childhood trauma or like a vow you made to yourself like i'm gonna be like this to protect myself or whatever. yeah
1: and it's unconscious yeah. i didn't know it was happening until chris pointed it out which was an amazing mm. moment in my life um, and i get to do that work with clients as well mm-hmm. um, so practice coaching there for a couple years but the business fell in hard times and I had an, another baby at the time. So my wife gave birth to now this time a healthy child, which is now 13. <laughs> She's now 13. And I said, Oh my God, I can't work part time, Chris. I have to find a job. So I had to find a job, worked with disability, people with disabilities, which is a good job, but I could take a pay cut. It was tough, but I kept grinding my coaching business on the side, just freaking grinding away at it. So how did you start that little coaching business that you had on the side? Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, I had graduated, I have a couple paying, paying clients, and then I got hired by Chris and I went full time, but I also still had a couple clients. Okay. And when you do good work, people talk. And so I started to amass a couple other clients. And when I got laid off, I'm like, crap, I got to get a job still because I don't make enough to make my bills th- through coaching. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just kept it going. And then a couple years into my. Uh, job this guy bob elliott and i love the freaking guy every time i see him i give him a hug dude you changed my life another guy who changed my life he brought me into his office he was the cfo high level guy he says jeff you're really good at listening he Goes, do you do business coaching and i looked at him in, inside my head i was like i have no idea what that means but out, out of my mouth I said, of course i do absolutely what what's your need and then he told me well my wife blah 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 I, and I met my first client at Bagelworks. They hired me as a business coach. Mm-hmm. And this is like 2011. Uh, fake it till you make it sometimes, I guess, right? And so then I just started to practice. And uh, 2013, I had enough clients where I could go out on my own. at 40 years old. I'm 49 now. So I've been doing this kind of work. And I can talk about my clients and stuff, uh, case studies. But I've been doing this work about nine years in all sectors of business, with so many different uh, types and styles of leaders, it's it's my it's my soul's purpose. So that's where that's a little bit of a an abbreviated journey that I've been on.
2: Hmm. So, w- when you came across coaching, it was fulfilling something that I guess music wasn't, in a sense, because. My journey is somewhat similar in that I started with music and then I saw that I was capable of so much more. Not to say that music is easy or anyone can be a great musician, but it's it's not everything. And mm. I used to think it was everything and it created all sorts of problems for me. Mm, yeah. Because I was limiting myself without knowing it. Mm. And any time someone would challenge that, like, you're not supposed to do this. You're, you're more than that. I would take that as a negative statement, as a judgment. And it is a judgment, but it's, it's the kind of judgment that is trying to help you open things up. But
1: Yeah, and that's cool that you had, you've had moments. You see, mine was very dramatic. It was a suicide attempt mm-hmm. that I woke up in the hospital and said, whoa, like, this, my road literally split. And I'm like, I'm never doing that. i got to figure this out. At the same time, I still love music and it's a great expression, uh, but it wasn't. It just got subsumed by this other thing, and that's why I hear you saying is it's kind of shifted for you as well. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was a little bit about ego. I want to be this world professional yes, and yeah. make a lot of money and, you know, travel the world and look at me. I'm a freaking awesome drummer, and there was definitely some ego tied to that, right? And so as I had this moment of like near death experience, I'm like, wow something's beyond my ego. Like what's happening here? I need to figure this out, you know? And so it was like, shh, this became paramount, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: (sighs) Yeah. So you were saying how you were a life coach and then a partial business coach. How did that transition into being a leadership coach?
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, um, that's a great question. Businesses and organizations are led by someone or uh, maybe it's a co-situation. I have had places where there's two owners, you know, equal shares. Usually it's one person at the top that owns a business. And I love small businesses because when you can get 10 or 20 people in a room or over time in a room, you can make change really quickly Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to do it at Apple or Facebook (sighs) or, you know, CNS or whatever, you know. So, I would often start with the leaders, so the people that own the business, and they manage a a leadership team, and the leadership team manages other people. And in small companies, though, a lot of times the leader's doing a lot of different things. And so, when we talk about business coaching, it's morphed over time for me. Uh, I think of it in three ways, is leadership slash management coaching, strategy, or strategic planning, and then teamwork so these three things uh, but in terms of the leadership as you're asking leaders have to they have to take a coaching approach then in fact five things people want today in any organization especially Millennials and the new generations they want five things one of them is coaching they want a coach they don't want a boss they want someone that empowers them and listens to them they also want purpose They want life purpose, they want mission, they want to be part of something. That's why the average uh, journey in a job is like, I don't know, four years or something like that, because people haven't found it yet. And they may not have a coach that's trying to get them there, okay? Number three is they want to use their strengths. Okay, They they don't want to be focused on what's wrong about them, but what's right about them. Number four is they want to develop constant development consistent improvement and it doesn't mean moving up the ranks it means just learning and growing and, and moving forward right having opportunities to do that and the fifth thing this is awesome is work life balance it wasn't like that in the old days mm-hmm. just worked went home read the paper whatever it's kind of stereotypical but it's kind of the way it was and now people have flexible a lot of dads want to be involved myself included in their child's development or their children's development uh, There might be part of boards and, you know, all sorts of different things. They want flexibility. And, um, so when I work with leaders, we talk all about these things and I help to instill them a coaching approach to their business. So that's kind of, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, uh, you did.
2: Cool. Hmm. You're teaching them how to think like a coach that they can coach themselves.
1: Yes. Yeah, so two things. That's great. Yes. So one, I'm coaching them so that they can figure stuff out for themselves. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, it's double duty. I'm ha- I'm teaching them to coach other people. Ah. So I, I like to say I'm working myself out of a job, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's great about leadership is that's exactly what you want to do.
0: One thing about leadership is you want to have decentralized command. So the people that you're teaching how to be good leaders need you to lead them on how to be a good leader
1: exactly yeah and you're going into the military and that's a that's a centralized uh, top-down hierarchical but there have been made there have been strides in the military too for that that kind of methodology a collaborative well it's interesting because if you had centralized command in the military then nothing would get
0: done until the president was asked because that's the that's the top Hmm. so what they have is they have decentralized command in the military you, know, you have these officer ranks and then these non-commissioned officers who are in the field with the subordinates. So you have like these subordinate leaders, which helps enable decentralized command. And so you don't have to go to the very top, to the president with a centralized, mm. with centralized command. Right. Yeah, that's great. So people may think it's centralized in the military when yeah. it's, it's not. Yeah. Because like, let's say you were trying to figure out what strategy you need to take over one portion of the country because of some kind of terrorism act that is happening over there. Right. Are you going to ask, Hey, are we allowed to engage this enemy at this time to the president who's dealing with like 700 different things? So.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I even would even go further. It's like those leaders that are making these decisions, coaching is all about collaboration and it's not my way or the highway, right? Like top down command and control which we think may be stereotypical, like you see the drill sergeant, you know, get down and give me 20 or, you know, you got to do your job. And that's true. But when you're actually making decisions and plotting strategy, like to, to get people's voices heard because we're stronger together, right? That that's at the local level, pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. And here's the thing about leadership is when you let your subordinates make the plan, then the plan is going to be executed more effectively because then they have more belief and, yeah. and more buy-in to a plan.
1: Absolutely. So great, man. I love it, you know, and so um, coaching is like the buzzword of the day and it's based on the Gallup Institute. There's, a, there's tons of research about a coaching approach. It has to, we have to adopt it as leaders, as managers, as supervisors, whatever you want to call it. These terms are interchangeable. That's what I do. I go into businesses and help coach them to success strategically. Team team work wise, and I have a strategic model that I use. And we don't need to get into that. Maybe that's next time. uh, Planning models, but uh, they've got to adopt a coaching approach, which basically is three things: got to learn how to listen. So many bad listeners out there. I work with a ton of them. Listening can be learned. It's a skill. Clear expectations. I can't tell Mm -hmm. you how many people don't Mm -hmm. know what the expectation is. I just sat with a bank manager. How do you know what you do? I don't know. Do you have a job description? No. Even at a $500 million bank, I don't have a job description. So it creates confusion and sometimes procrastination or doing things that she shouldn't be doing It doesn't want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, that's the second thing, clear expectations. And then the third thing is accountability. Go got to hold it accountable. Well, you can't hold someone accountable if the expectations aren't clear. So let's... Get clear on the expectations. Let's hold it accountable by seeing discrepancies and listen into the middle of that to say, what's needed? This is being breached. Mm -hmm. Were you not clear? What do you need? How can I help you? Let's get it and elevate the conversation and make it happen.
0: And that's the leader making that
1: observation. Correct. Correct. Yeah, possibly a coworker as well. If you have a very safe environment, a collaborative environment, I've seen employees. Uh, I just came from a business, a wealth management business, where the uh, administrator coached the one of the financial advisors about something because it's we make we make a safe place mm. for them to engage in that way. Don't because I'm your boss, you can't give me feedback or you can't coach me. Of course you can. But in high, high uh, you know, hierarchical environments, top-down leadership—it's what the boss says, and it's scary to approach the boss, you know.
0: And and that's where it's problematic because if the boss is making all the decisions and isn't in the field with the frontline troops, how do you know that that boss is making the right decisions?
1: <laughs> and oftentimes they're not. You know, and we call that CEO disease. In fact, the the book Daniel Goldman wrote, Emotional Intelligence, when that came out in 1995, uh, that was a game changer as well. Mm -hmm. But he he talked about CEO disease. The higher up the organization you go, the less accurate feedback people around you give you because they're scared to give it to you. Mm Because especially if you're not open to it or you're not kind, who wants to get yelled at, berated, demoted, retaliated against? So there is that fear that if I speak up, something bad's going to happen, right? And so I go in and help massage these spaces to say, hey, you leader, you manager, you don't know everything. In fact, you're stronger because of these people. And let's build a structure where we can engage each other through
2: a series of meetings Mm. that kick ass, Mm. right? Absolutely. Clarity is important too in sales. Um, Nobody can be sold on the vision, even if it's their own vision, if the steps to get there aren't clear, or if the challenges they're dealing with aren't clear. So it's clarifying for other people, but also you want to clarify your own challenges. And leading yourself that way.
0: And you talk a lot about being able to communicate up the chain of command. And to be able to do that, the leader has to instill trust in their subordinates. So that their subordinates can come to them with the problems that they're having. So they can work through
1: them. Totally. Then it's like, how do you do that, right? That's my work. is, How?
0: How? How do you do that, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question, right? Well, (laughs) well, first we we realize that uh, relationship building is important. So I'm a relational guy. I bring relationship building experiences to bear so that we look at each other as humans beyond role. You know, I told you about a gig that I have. we won't mention names, but it's a very hierarchical organization. And what I've gotten them to do is not address themselves as rank, but as men, because there's this men, it's all men in this environment. Mm-hmm. So now we're calling each other first names in the space, not out on the floor and out in the community. It's still, you know, their titles. But in the space, we've created this place where we're just six guys trying to figure stuff out. And we don't have to have an ego because I'm at the top. And so I I go in and I build relationship building activities. I do skill building with people. So listening skills, uh, how to manage stress better. That's another skill-based thing that I didn't know when I was back in my depression. Mm -hmm. I I was believing all that crap. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, listening skills, communication skills, like how to give and receive feedback. We talk about defensiveness. These are all skill-based things. Uh, How how do we address conflict? What are the rules of engagement? You know, normative behaviors for our meeting group here. All these things build a structure parameters around this group that I hold uh, in my, put my arms around the group that I hold sacred and I hold them militantly to use a military word militantly that there's no wiggle room out of here. Like this is what we stand for. This is what we need
2: to practice. Yeah, keeping them accountable.
1: Absolutely. That's why, that's, awesome. that's why I'm there, is to hold, I'm like the conductor of the, oh, French horn, you're a little out of tune right there. you got to tune that horn up because that's making the music sound kind of crappy yeah. without calling him an asshole or, or, or belittling him, right, or, or, or her. It's like doing it in a gentle coaching approach because, again, that's a discrepancy. If I see someone roll their eyes, I'm like, ah, oh, we don't roll our eyes. That's not what we do, but why did that just happen? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're frustrated. Oh, Okay. Well, can you speak your frustration instead of roll your eyes? That's a whole different thing.
0: And what's good about what you just said is that's detachment. You're detaching from what's going on and being getting emotional that, oh, this guy just rolled his eyes at me. You know, Does he think he's better than me? Is what I'm saying not important to him? And so you're like, oh, well, let me detach from the situation and see get why curious. he's you're curious. rolling his eyes. Yeah. And try to solve that problem oh from gosh. a
1: detached tactical perspective absolutely well you guys asked about how this all applies to my life right and how i leave even my family or Mm -hmm. my friends i have four pillars that i i stand true to one of them is curiosity actually you just said the word
2: nice i read your mind
1: you did (laughs) well we're we're in a space that's kind of in train, right so we're we're on the same level and um and see, that's another beauty is that I'm older than you. Maybe I have more experience, but I don't think of myself as better than you in any way. We're, we're all needed for this conversation. Mm-hmm. There's a humility there. And that's my second one is humility.
0: Yes. I right? love
1: it. So I don't know everything. I'm not a perfect in uh, technology. See my guy, six screens there. I have no idea what he does there. <laughs> right. I mean, I kind of have some idea, but I don't know what he does. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm humble. I learned that through suicide attempt. That was a very humbling moment for me in my life. Losing twins, very humbling moment. A lot of times they say your traumas in your past, growing up with a dick stepdad, very humbling, right? I didn't get the lesson until later on, but hey, whatever. I got it. And now I realize like, humility is the way to go. So curiosity, humility, positivity. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I love reframing stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially as a leader. You That's know, it. If everybody's looking up to you and... You know, something happens, like let's say you didn't get the supplies that you needed. You're like, oh god damn it, we get the supplies, now we're not gonna be able to make our deadline. Well, if that's your attitude, the attitude's gonna carry on to your troops. Instead, if you're like, oh, we didn't get the supplies that we needed, good. Now we can figure
1: out how we can manage with what we have. So That's right. Yeah. Making lemonade out of lemons, exactly. And it is it's a reframe, it's a cognitive reframe. Mm-hmm. And there's great tools out there like cognitive behavioral therapy. People say, Jeff, do you feel negative or think negative sometimes? Yes. I'm not a robot, mm. but it's like 3% of the time. But when I do, I know that I have tools in place like challenging a catastrophic thought. Oh, my God, I messed up. I'm the most terrible coach ever. Really? Boom. Catch it. Be aware of it. Breathe. Mm. Challenge it. Set it free. Move on, right? It's like this, this step process So positivity. My last one is presence. It's what I learned in uh, meditation. I still meditate that I'm rooted to the earth, right? My body is, is central. That's why I take care of my body. Um, The body is the temple and it's the thing that connects us uh, to where we're going in life, right? It connects our brain. And if we're not in our bodies and what they call embodiment, Mm -hmm. Then we're, we're overthinking stuff, and we're just like always onto the next thing instead of actually enjoying the moment while all that's going on. We're even slowing that down. Like the matrix, when Neo finally goes, kind of sees it, you know? Yeah. That's kind of what I strive to do is bring presence to wherever I go so I can enjoy the moment. Mm.
2: Just by slowing down your breathing, your body, and when you move slower, it also sub-communicates to people. I've noticed that you're more kind of in tune with your emotions and just more in control in a sense as well. Yeah, in control. Yeah, good. I love it. So those are kind of four pillars that, uh,
1: you know, we talked about values at the gym a little bit, and that's kind of what helped. I think of it as like uh, an Avengers movie, right? These four things are floating around me positivity, presence, curiosity, right? It's like these things are just around me and they help inform my decisions and my actions when I can remember them. But well, sometimes I get triggered and I fall off thrills and I might have a snarky comment mm-hmm. to my wife, here's another thing, humility. hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I was just snarky to you. That's not how I really need to communicate. In fact what I'm trying to say is this as opposed to, what we do is we get pissed off with other people, blame them, judge them, make them wrong. What would you expect me to do? But yell at them. Well, there's no power in that. Your power is in someone else's hands. I don't want that.
2: Right? So I've had some great mentors along the way too. It's been incredible. Mentorship is the best thing ever. <laughs> you can do for yourself. Get a mentor. It, it's the first step for me was to get a mentor and it changed my life. Because it was, first of all, the accountability, but also the investment. That was massive. Yeah. And um, I was allowing myself to be led by someone else so that I can lead others. Mm -hmm. It started with me being, you know, having humility, enough humility to be like, okay, I need some help. And then you become a stronger person and a stronger leader from that place. So with those four principles, like if you had to put put them in a certain order, what would that look like? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Boy,
1: I don't know. That's a that's a tough one because we are all so. You know, I'd say probably say presence. Presence. Presence is like that's the ground, mm. you know, and I think curiosity is another one. It's like second because just being open to learning, mm. open to, even. And they, they, they conjoin, right? Being curious about, like, nature and the breeze and the sun. My favorite thing is when the sun and the moon are in the sky at the same time. It just transports me, like, into this curious realm. Like, wow, there's a huge context here. We're on a planet spinning through space that's halfway through its life, like me. I'm halfway through my life. And someday the sun's going to swallow it up and disintegrate it into billions of pieces. Mm. Like, what's going on here, folks? Right. I used to study astronomy, too, big time in cosmology. It was so fun. I won't digress into that. But one little tidbit, the closest galaxy to us is Andromeda. It's 2 million light years away. 2 million, 2 million. years at the speed of light. 186,000 miles per second. 2 million years it's going to take you to get there. And that's the closest one to us. That's how freaking big this place is, right? We're not that big, dudes. look at us. We're tiny little ants on the friggin' back of an elephant. You know what I'm saying? But yet we do matter. And our voice matters, and our path matters. So it's that juxtaposition. So I love curiosity, then probably um, positivity would would come next because I just the world needs it, man. <laughs> <laughs> the world needs positivity, right? Um, yeah. So
2: those three. those three. Maybe humility
1: comes first humility. before presence, or maybe it comes second. I don't know. I feel like I feel one.
2: like humility comes third because you can't <laughs> be okay. positive without being you know, humble. Beautiful. Because lack of humility creates negativity. It, it's tough. I get it. <laughs> Good question. They're man. all important. All important.
1: This is awesome. I mean, like I we we talked about, uh, you know, case studies with my clients and maybe in future podcasts, we can explore some of those unless you have specific questions about current clients that I have, but and anything that we've talked about, right? Uh, or anywhere else you guys want to go, anywhere else you guys want to go.
2: What's like a common mistake people make in leadership, like with your clients specifically that you come in and fix. It's like, Oh, I expected this. Yep. I, everyone else I worked with had this problem mm. or area that needs improvement. So good. Uh, it's a great
1: question. Probably either unclear expectations, because here's one of the phenomenons in business, especially small businesses that grow uh, quickly, Hmm. is that you get hired for a job. A year later, the business has grown, and now we've asked you to do 10 other things. Hmm. Now, if we go back to your job description, it's not on there. And small companies don't have an HR department. No one's updating job descriptions. Like go, Dalton, you were level one fitness instructor, now you're level two. No, we've asked you to do level two stuff, but you're still a level one. But So I say, well, what do you do? You're like, um, kind of level one and a half. And it gets confusing for people. And so what we do, what I help managers do is have these coaching conversations with their people to right-size their role. That's a common mistake that happens is letting it go free and wild. Because then people get burned out and they get overburdened. And then if it's not a safe place for them to speak up, then they just limp along and they're, they're losing precious time, energy and money, right? And productivity. So I come in as a bridge builder to have these conversations and they go, oh my God, that makes perfect sense. You know, my manager yesterday that I sat with, who doesn't have a clear job description, I said, well, what's your goal? Well, I want to move up to a VP. Awesome. Well, what does that look like? What does that job description look like? I don't know. Well, what's your current job description like? I don't know. Well, we <laughs> got to figure these out so that we can make a plan for you to mm-hmm. get that and offload some of the things that you're doing, and then tell your manager, and have have your manager buy into this. Yeah. Because the manager's not driving it. I'm kind of a surrogate manager. Mm. You know, I kind of, but I don't have the power. I don't have the power to discipline them, or and that's not what coaching is about, really. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's kind of one of the mistakes I think uh, managers make. So don't do that out there, people. And if your manager is being a bad boss, you got to train them on the five things. Tell them what you need. Speak up. I know it's risky, but think about this. I stayed at a job too long for a year before I went into coaching. I should have, quote unquote, should have left earlier, but I was afraid because I needed a paycheck. Well, you know what? Leaving was the best friggin' thing ever. Nine years later, I'm so glad I left. So speak up for your needs and and train your manager about what you've taken on and and see if you can right-size it or even get compensated more for what you're doing.
0: And one thing about that is, you know, you may have humility and you may have subordinated your own ego. However, it doesn't mean that your boss has done the same. Correct. So when you go up there and you want to communicate these things, you can't be like, hey, boss, I'm not getting enough pay. I need a pay raise and I need less stuff off my table so I can lead effectively. You have to deliver it with tact. And also try to make it your boss's idea and be indirect.
1: Because, I love that. Yeah. That's the first law of power, right? The for, You have see the 48 Laws of Power, Robert Greene? Mm. First one is never outshine the master. I, that's <laughs> so great. That's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, they call it the dark arts of power, but it's, it is exactly right.
0: And the thing is about that being a dark art of power, it's only a dark art of power if you're doing it to put yourself above everybody else. If you're doing it to better the team and to better the mission, then it's not dark.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's a euphemism they use for these. Because you're right, they can be used underhandedly and have throughout history. And that's what the book is about, how how it's been used for ill and good. So that's really well said. Is tact is a communication strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where a coach can help. I love being a sounding board. Hey, Jeff, i got to talk to my manager about my my raise. And uh, I'll give you a quick example. Can I? Yeah, please do. Amazing piece of work. I'm not just patting myself on the back, but this guy that I'm working with equally because he had to go do the work, right? I'm, I'm a sounding board, so he wants to carve his way into a new role, into a company that he works for. Smart guy's been there 23 years. Amazing knowledge. He's got like a PhD in this industry without the PhD. So he's looking to get more and more and more in this entrenched in this company as a specialist, but it doesn't exist. So I, behind the scenes with the CEO and his other boss, talked about this, led some meetings, coached this guy about confidence and sh- uh, feeling his value and then attaching a dollar sign to it, which was something like $15,000 extra a year. But he's like, oh, I can't do that. I mean, that's never gonna happen. Again, mindset, right? Okay, well, hold on, we don't see the future. How do we keep going, build a plan, communicate tactfully, Just met with them last week. No, I just met with them this Monday at 7.30 a.m., my first meeting. Says to me, I get everything that I wanted. I Just found out last Friday. They're moving me into this position November 1st. I'm getting half of the pay now, half of the pay in in February. Thank you for believing in me, uh, upholding my, uh, my confidence, showing me my value. And I'm like, dude, I couldn't have done it without you, but thank you. It's good to hear good news. Right? So there's an example of coaching someone to success, communicating tactfully, hmm. not just trusting the process. Because We get impatient sometimes. Sometimes it's process yeah. the things.
0: Hey, yeah, you gotta play the long game.
1: You gotta play the long game. That's a great way to put it. That's great. I love that. Maybe in our strategic session next time we can talk about the long games. I love that too. Sure.
2: <laughs> That's awesome, guys.
1: Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. No, appreciate your time. This has been really awesome. It's been fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. thank you. you. you no, know, it's it's a pleasure to have you on here. A new perspective, especially somebody who's mm-hmm. a professional at it. What I meant to say is that we're a lot more inexperienced in this field than True. you are. And yeah. it's great to have yeah. you to have your perspective.
1: It's a privilege, for sure. I got to thank you. And I absolutely am happy to share any time. Uh, but I'm going to give you guys some kudos. When I was 19, I didn't have much leadership. I didn't have much self-awareness. I wasn't reading business books like you have right there, Dalton. I wasn't training my mind. I was training drumming, but I was kind of a mess inside emotionally. I was hesitant and taking things personally and... You know, there was all sorts of, of hidden dynamics going on with me, but I put out a good face because I'm a positive guy, but I didn't know myself. What I love about you guys is an early age, and that's what I'm loving about your generation, the people you're talking to, you guys want to become more conscious, way more way, way, more quickly than my generation, and way more quickly than my father's generation, and his father's generation. Hmm. That wasn't even talked about, really, uh, as, a, as a whole societal thing. You guys want consciousness. Remember, you want the five things. Purpose coaching strengths work-life balance and development right you guys want to learn you're voracious learners so i freaking love that so kudos to you guys thank you thank you jeff rock and roll dudes let's go yeah let's (laughs) go all right thanks guys all
2: right